hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Mark, why don't we kick off the show today? I think we should get started. Um, of course, we'll have some people joining, but there's always the playback and we're also streaming live on YouTube. So welcome everybody. Yeah, over to you, Richie, to lead us off. Totally. Well, look, I'm, I'm just going to say what an honor it is to be hosting this show. And in fact, we've clearly made an exception for Raja because we don't usually do this time slot. But of course, Raja is busy from, from coming over the States. So we had to do that. But Raja, you know, you are the, the CMO, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for what is probably one of the most renowned organizations in the world. And dare I say, you've been able to make it even more renowned with the, with the, with the strategies and innovativeness that you bring that organization, which is, which is absolutely brilliant. You know, globally recognized for your innovative thinking, your leadership in business, um, and more so, quite honestly, the string of accolades and rewards that you have won is just amazing. I'm just going to call out a few because you could probably spend the hour doing it. Um, so the WFA Global Marketer of the Year, Forbes um, Top 5 World's Most Influential Marketing CMOs, and clearly also to mention that, you know, you've entered the CMO Club Hall of Fame as well. Just absolutely brilliant. As, as, a, as you know, in the heights of a marketing career, it really doesn't get much better. But the last thing that I do want to mention is that, and in fact, I was walking through Mumbai Airport a number of months ago, and I, I was literally going through the equivalent of WH Smets, and I saw Raja's book right in front of my eyes, and I had to pick up and, and get a copy. So quantum marketing, as it were. Um, what I love about the book, Raja, is the fact that you actually talk about marketing in different stages and the different quantums that marketing is has been through over time and now we're entering a real period of absolute disruption the fifth quantum um, as it was so i'd love to get into the details of that um, but to be anyone who, who hasn't read the book um, it's an it's a fascinating read that that talks you through the different eras and then really gives you enough to inspire um, inspire you to, to want to uh, to understand how marketing is about to be disrupted or is currently disrupted but being more disrupted now than ever before so i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that but more so than anything such a great pleasure and pride that I get to welcome Raja onto this show. Thank you for joining us this morning. And Richard, thank you so much for having me and particularly appreciate the flexibility of your timing. Uh, so I'm delighted to be here and looking forward to a good conversation and happy to take the conversation anywhere. So I'll be totally uncensored and unfiltered. So Love let's it. go for it. That's, that's fantastic to hear, Roger, because I think, you know, you've kind of seen it all. Uh, and so for many people who are just at the beginning of trying to figure out where do they go within marketing, your, your insights are going to be invaluable. So, so let's let's start quite broad in terms of the world that we're currently occupying uh, with the pandemic. I mean, it's just been a crazy year or so uh, in different countries, very different experiences, I mean, huge variation in terms of um, vaccination programs and so on. I, I think on balance, there's now a turn towards feeling more positive about what lies ahead. Um, so looking forward, what do you think you've learned from this period? 
that you can take forward into the future? Yeah, see, I, I think there have been a very uh, good number of unexpected things that happened last year uh, in terms of the changes in the consumer behavior, the consumer landscape that affected marketing in a very significant fashion, right? So, for example, everything digital got accelerated by almost 4 to 8x. What I mean by this is, pre-pandemic, people used to do online shopping. But during pandemic, they had very little alternatives to online shopping. So people had to get on online shopping. So normally what would have taken about seven to eight years in terms of penetration of e-commerce has actually been accomplished in one year. Now there are people like me who have been using online commerce or e-commerce forever. However, I would never shop for groceries and my produce vegetables and fruits online. I would always go to a shop. But having tasted that, I have now expanded the categories in which I'm, going, I'm doing online shopping. Having tasted that now, it's very unlikely that I'll go back to your physical shop with the same level of intensity like I used to pre-pandemic because online suddenly got used to it. Then you have got people who never were online. So now they have got used to the convenience of online and they started using for their purchases. So it's, this is what we call as the secular growth and the category growth which is happening phenomenally. So one change. Second, the nature of workplace is totally now different, right? People have discovered last one year without a huge loss of productivity, you could actually stay at home and work. So a lot of millennials particularly are asking, why do we even need to go to work? I'll go stay in some exotic place and I'll work from there. So long as I have a good internet connection, I'm, I'm done. So the nature of workplace is changing. Why is it important, particularly for marketing? Because marketing has got a lot of co-creation. You are interacting with the agencies, you're interacting with the team, you're sitting in rooms and brainstorming, et cetera, on the one hand, that's going to change quite a lot now. The agency uh, interaction process, the way you approve your uh, creatives, the, the way you develop the creatives, the entire process has to be rethought. That's one thing. On the B2B side, this is not just about the consumers, but even if you look at B2B, I would see, for example, myself going to a number of conferences. I would see myself traveling quite a lot to meet clients around the world. I used to be for 200 days every year on the road outside of United States, right? And in the U.S., add 50 more. Literally, I'm, I'm living off of a suitcase all the time. Now, suddenly when I was grounded and nothing really bad has happened as a result of being grounded, and actually in a given day, I could meet with clients in Germany and uh, in Japan and in Brazil which would have otherwise taken me probably three different weeks to travel to those places. Productivity has gone up in a phenomenal fashion. Of course, finance, CFOs, uh, the chief financial officers, they're very happy because the travel and entertainment budget comes down. So what happens is there is a complete reworking of how uh, you know uh, we need to really look at organizing ourselves. Last point I would say on the B2B side particularly is all these industry summits, industry forums that you would go to in industry conferences, that has completely changed. How are you going to do trade shows tomorrow? It's going to be a lot more hybrid. Digital is going to be irreversibly a part of our life. If that is going to be the case in the B2B context and the B2C context, as marketers, we have to adjust our strategies and in many cases, change them pretty significantly. So it's going to be a very exciting journey and there are a lot of learnings that we had over the last one year that we are taking into the future. Raj, I love that. And I love the, you know, the confession about how much time you spent on planes. 
it's clearly that that couldn't have been easy in itself. But I, I wonder, I wonder, are you a happy man on the back of these changes that you are now seeing personally? You know, whether that more time on the ground, more time with family. Um, how are you adjusting to it, or are you? Uh, what or what certain aspects are you missing of of the old world? So here are a couple of things. There are positives and negatives in every situation. The positives are, I'm able to spend a lot more time with the family. And I have two dogs, and which I, I love them, and I spend time with, time with them, walking them, and so on, playing with them. That's been amazing for me. Uh, second, it had freed up a lot of time, which otherwise was probably spent on at the airports and uh, you know, traveling on the plane without a, a fantastic Wi-Fi connection and so on. Uh, and I think that takes its own toll. And that time when it got freed up, I could actually write the whole book during the pandemic. So, you know, writing a book typically is a very fairly intensive kind of an effort. And actually could uh, free up enough to be able to get that accomplished. So that's the second thing, which is very, very positive. The third thing, like I said, is the productivity is huge. The downsides are, number one, there is a blurring of the lines between personal life and work life because the meetings are happening practically around the clock. Uh, so you don't have the compartmentalization. Uh, that, in some cases, is very good, but that's blurring. That's number one, work-life balance. The second thing I would say is, there is always something unique about breaking bread together with other people. There is nothing that substitutes physically sitting in front of somebody else, your team members, your clients, breaking bread with them, chatting and in fact, so those, those kind of things are missing. And lastly, on the office front, particularly when you're interacting with your peers, there's a lot of informal interaction that happens. You just casually pop into somebody's room or you are sitting in a, so the water cooler conversations and so on. Those practically disappear in the remote environment where you are talking about scheduled time. When you schedule things, it becomes a formal time. Formal time is sort of, it's got its own limitations of how it can help and uh, uh, enable business uh, relationship building or not. So it's, it's a little uh, different. kind. Of, so there are positives and negatives, but overall, I feel uh, that, you know, we have got some very good learnings to Mark's previous point out of pandemic, even on this work front. And I think how we adjust it and how we change it, it's going to be interesting. Some people just don't want to come back to office. Some people want to work two or, two or three days and they're willing to change their jobs. Some people on my team, for example, they said, hey, we would like to live in Puerto Rico and work out of Puerto Rico. Just, <laughs> just because they love the weather and the place is fantastic. <laughs> so people are reevaluating their priorities and how they would want to live. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see this. Awesome. Roger, you've you've um, concentrated in all the impacts of these seismic changes pretty well. And I would say personally, hallelujah to the thought of getting back into the office, that connection, that belonging, that chemistry or breaking bed, as you, as you said. I want to re rewind the clock a bit now and go back to the past and ask, how did you come to be in marketing at all? What was your, your journey into and through the marketing world? Ironically, it was a little accidental, right? I did my chemical engineering as an undergrad uh, from Hyderabad in India, and I wanted to be an environmental engineer. So I did my environmental engineering as a specialization within chemical engineering. And uh, after doing my chemical engineering, I wanted to do my MBA because that was a better career path than just being a hardcore engineer in India, at least in those days. So I said, I'll do my MBA. And I was fortunate to get into the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore. So I went there. And I was specializing there in environmental management. 
in the internship, summer internship, between the first and the second years, uh, I happened to be at a company called Lankman to do my internship on a logistics project. And I happened to overhear a conversation at the time uh, from my boss, he was having with the agency people just in the next cubicle. And they were talking about how color cosmetics are a little bit of a taboo in those days amongst the more conservative families. So they would not encourage their you know, uh, daughters or sisters or you know, whatever uh, to wear color cosmetics because it was seen to be attracting negative attention. So, you know, you should not do that. If you're a good girl, you don't you know, attract attention. That was a you know, framework and they were figuring out how to actually solve it. I said, why is it so difficult? Why are these guys struggling? I just sort of put on a piece of paper. I said, is it bad to look good? That was my headline. So I just sort of and created a small ad and then I showed it to him and he was very impressed. And then subsequently it went on to become a campaign and so on. But the thing is, when I had that kind of an intuitive response to that situation and the praise that I got as a result of it, I suddenly said, maybe this is actually what I'm going to be good at. So I moved into marketing. And uh, ever since, now it is 36 years, uh, I'm very much in this field and I enjoy it as much as I did on day one. So it's been a fun journey. So, but for that interaction, probably would have been an environmental management guy, maybe somewhere in the United Nations or uh, you know, God knows where, because United Nations was my aspiration in those days. I should mm. be not. Uh, managing the policy for around the world about environmental control and climate. Those days, we never called it climate change, but you're talking about environmental protection. It's the same concept, different terminology. But that's where I thought I'll go. But uh, fate took me in a different direction, and this was purely accidental. Well, that's Raja. just lo lo lovely, lovely that there's a, a very, very specific spark moment where you lit the touch paper. Uh, brilliant to be able to put your finger on it. Sorry, Richie, back to you. Not at all. Is it bad to look good? Bloody hell, what a great line. There you are. <laughs> did, it, did, it, did it end up being the strap line of the campaign? Uh, it, it was actually the headline. It was a one top, one uh, ad. It, it, it went well. You know, it, it had done well. And so th that was actually, uh, you know, uh, even now I have got that uh, cut and paste in uh, the frame in my home as my very first creative exercise. Amazing. But Raja, I want to ask, I want to pick up on something that you said where you realize that your initial response, you had something intuitive that sparked it into our industry and then you fell in love with it. And I, and I love it even more, but you say even to this day, you love it as much as you did then, because I tell you what, so do I. Every single day, I love, I love what we do. Um, but I want to ask, you talked about intuition um, and instinct being a key ingredient to, to marketing, to spark you into this space. Do you think that's what it needs, or do you think there's much more skill that's required to, to go along with our space? Because I'm a leading question because everyone does feel that, you know, instinctively some people are more creative than others. But I wonder if that this intuition is, is, is vital for success in marketing. See, uh, I would say it depends on how far you want to go in marketing. If you want to just dabble, probably intuition, you can do without it. You can get into a very data analytical, logical, rational aspects of marketing, areas like marketing technologies, into marketing analytics. You could get into performance marketing. So there are so many areas that you can get in without that creative streak in you. That will take you quite well up to your point. On the other hand, if you don't have, you know, typically if you look at the human brain, you've got the left side and the right side hemisphere, as I say, 
the left hemisphere is very analytical, logical, quantitative. The right side is qualitative, intuitive, aesthetic. And, you know, it's, it's a different way they, they are wired, right? The ideal marketer is somebody who actually leverages both sides of the brain. They are blessed with both the creative capabilities as well as the rational, analytical, uh, quantitative capabilities as well. Because marketing today is not either or. If you are a pure creative, an agency route might be a better one for you not necessarily a regular marketing as a brand manager because you cannot be a good brand manager or a good marketer in a client side without having your understanding of data. On the other hand, on the agency side, if you, we can get into the creative side and we, we, that's where you are trying to be very sensitive to people's emotions, their feelings and what drives them to act and then know what the triggers are and come up with those, that's a creative side. Now, I keep talking about it and then I have written as you know in my book, uh, quantum marketing, which is I talk about the Leonardo da Vinci kind of personalities is what we require. Now, Leonardo da Vinci was one of those rare, rare, amazing characters who was a phenomenal engineer on one side, but he was also an extraordinary artist on the other side. So not everyone is blessed with that kind of a thing, but I would say you should at least aspire to be there. I think the logical analytical thing is as much innate as much as it is nurtured. Same thing with a creative. Creative, you might not be able to come up with creative stuff yourself, but you can condition and train yourself to appreciate creativity, to recognize working creativity. Like it's a simple example. There, there are people who know nothing about painting themselves, but they have a uh, the sense of appreciation for fine art. They can say which is just scribbles versus which is a fine piece of art. Right, And that appreciation, that sensibility is absolutely required for a good marketer. So you don't have to necessarily be yourself creative, but you should have the creative sensibility. So I would say this is how I would approach. You know, and that will take you really long because that's a rare breed. You don't have too many marketers who are good on both sides. Yeah, I think that's a life's work to be that whole-brained Da Vinci. Um, but but a great pursuit and very rewarding, I think, for many people in their careers. Now then, MasterCard, uh, massive company, massive job. Just wanted to know what brought you there and what keeps you there. Right. So I uh, used to be in the healthcare industry just before I came to MasterCard. So before MasterCard, I was with uh, uh, Citigroup. And uh, from Citigroup, I moved to the healthcare and I was in the healthcare industry. And uh, my ex-boss at Citibank, Ajay Banga, uh, I worked for him for nearly 15 years and we had a great relationship and uh, uh, you know, excellent, lots of respect for each other. And he became the CEO of MasterCard. So when he became the CEO of MasterCard, uh, and I got a call from him saying that, you know, would you want to come and join and uh, run marketing here? And uh, I thought it was going to be a great opportunity because in the healthcare, it was more a US only kind of a role Whereas this was a global role and uh, something which, uh, you know, uh, I thought uh, I, I bring a lot of globality to my perspective as opposed to just U.S. centric or in any country specific because I lived and worked in multiple countries from India to, uh, you know, United Arab Emirates to the United Kingdom and to the U.S. So I said that'll be a great opportunity. So I have come here. So that, that's, that's how uh, my move to MasterCard has happened. And now I'm here. This is my eighth year. I'll be just completing my eighth year shortly. So I'll be entering my ninth year here. And I thoroughly enjoy every single day here. Uh, energizing, a very inspiring environment we have. 
you know, unlike many companies, this is one company which I feel very fortunate to have joined because it's a it's a in a truest sense, not for political correctness sense or for sound bites sense, but in a truest sense, it's a purpose-driven company. So, for example, people might not know that we have been funding cancer research, and we have uh, you know enabled the discovery of seven drugs for a cure of different types of cancer. We feed uh, poor children around the world, and uh, you know. We have raised like you know, God knows how much about you know millions and millions of dollars for that, and then we contribute to uh, feeding poor children through the World Food Program. Uh, we have recently uh, contributed. You know, there is a, a Mastercard has got two, uh, you know, two companies share the name Mastercard. One is Mastercard, the commercial entity. The other one is called Mastercard Foundation. Mastercard Foundation, all they do is just uh, philanthropy and uh, you know social, and it's probably the largest or the top two or three largest corporate philanthropic foundations in the world. They recently contributed $1.3 billion to Africa vaccination programs. So a lot of things like this are done, which makes it very purposeful. So you're not just pursuing profits, but you're also bringing purpose to life. And that's a real uh, privilege to be in that kind of a situation. Raja, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perhaps ask a slightly controversial question here because you're eight years into the journey. Um, Ajay Banga, probably about 10 or nine, 10 years, maybe just maybe just ahead of you in that tenure. Um, so to what extent did you guys, being the top leadership team, actually steer MasterCard into being this purpose-driven company as opposed to you seeing it before you got here? So uh, I knew Ajay since Citibank days, as I said. And uh, an extraordinary human being and somebody who has always been extremely helpful for everyone, to everyone. And when he came in here, even before I came on board, he started a number of purpose-driven initiatives. So I could see that in, the, in his role as the CEO, he was already doing a lot of great things. So it was not, so that's one part of it. Second thing, what was the, my role and contribution was saying that how can we make these uh, so good for society kind of initiatives, not as standalone initiatives, but blended into the core business model. Like if I'm creating, <clears throat> for example, a partnership with Stand Up to Cancer Foundation, I was combining that with the restaurant promotions in the US or World Food program pro programs combining with uh, spend programs in Europe, kind of, uh, spending on your cards. Uh, what we tried to do is we co-created or we created, <coughs> excuse me, we created a purpose that was very clear and tangible. So one is Ajay has, has this philosophy. How do you translate that philosophy into something which is easy for everyone to understand in a tangible, simple form? That is marketing and communications. That's what we do. Once you have got that, those pretty statements, simple pithy, have to be brought to life. Marketing brings them to life. Because in, internally, you have to inspire your people across the company, not just the marketing department. That's what internal communications does, which is also part of this marketing organization. And externally, you, you actually you know, uh, not seem to be somebody who is trying to uh, you know, purpose wash things. But to, because people can see through you, and, and if you're pretending and faking it, then you're doing it just for a temporary advantage, and, and people are not idiots. So they'll see through you. So you have to be authentic, consistent, and do things that are making an impact. 
and and all this stuff bhakti brings to life in a very very uh, compelling fashion so that's what i have been trying to do here uh, over the last years that i have been here and uh, the journey has been extremely productive and uh, you know i'll just give you one statistic simple thing mastercard is wrongly perceived to be a credit card company the reality we don't issue a single credit card it is the banks which issue credit card we are a technology company which provides a platform for the banks to issue cards and for the merchants to accept the cards it can be credit card debit card prepaid card whatever be the card right but we are considered to be credit card and credit card companies unfortunately have a slightly negative reputation that they actually make you spend on things that you don't need to spend on and drive you into debt and charge you massive interest rates that's a popular uh, and a misconception but it is what it is now when we are doing this kind of purpose driven efforts and cause marketing in a very sensible consistent fashion it started changing the perception of the brand and we became the fourth most loved brand for example in the united states and that doesn't happen by itself and secondly my budgets are minuscule compared to the giants out there like the apple or the google or the facebook and unilever procter and gamble and so on and so forth so at that time when i took over mastercard was the 87th ranked brand in the world still a top 100 brand so i was very privileged and honored to have had the opportunity to serve a brand like mastercard at the time but now we moved up all the way to number 10 so we are a top 10 brand in the world and that that's a huge uh, sense of gratification and satisfaction for me and in the united states we are ranked at number 8 Uh, which is probably the most competitive market in the world and here we are so it's moving in the right direction driving the business driving the people's you know feeling of satisfaction and happiness and so on so a lot of it is actually enabled and uh, brought to life by uh, marketing and communication here at mastercard wow and these are in- incredible achievements and and it would be a bit of an understatement to say you've had an awful lot of success in your career but but it will never be perfect for anybody so i'm interested to know where where some of the bumps in the road have come along and how you've adapted to them yeah i i think that that's an excellent one you know i'll give you two very quick examples so as a marketer when you create something a product or you create a campaign you get a little married to it and you want to sort of keep giving it more and more and more time hoping that it will succeed if it has not succeeded and uh, there have been instances where i in retrospect in hindsight say i should have killed that long back why did i let it draw on for so long because it is just a drain on the resources and on the attention and if it was if it if it was diverted to something else it would have been so much better so those kind of example there are a few the second one i would say is understanding cultural sensitivities you know in a global role particularly uh, or you know as a global citizen you need to understand that countries are similar but they are different as well there are universal principles but those universal principles they manifest differently depending on the cultural context so one such example when i was in city group uh in the middle east and i remember it very very vividly uh, city group globally launched a campaign called where money lives but when it had to be translated to arabic it's some it sort of it is not where money lives but it came through as where money is brought to life so it seemed to be a, a decent approximation so it just went ahead and then launched that in uh, dubai uh and then very quickly we got a lot of backlash saying that who the hell is city bank to be bringing money back to life 
nobody can bring anyone to life except the almighty so you guys know do you think you are gods uh-huh. i said wow <laughs> and and that's you need to be shut it down right the key thing is you need to be respectful of and sensitive to the aspects in different different cultures you have to be completely in tune and not be out of sync and and that was a huge learning and from then on you know uh, as i moved either to different geographies or actually started looking at you know from a global perspective we don't try to make one size fits all or it is not just about translation or transliteration but actually the concepts have to be extremely native to every single culture that is a huge learning very early on what a what an amazing example there raja um and a tough one probably a tough one to manage you know being on the ground in in the uae to be able to deal with that that's um big gig but uh, i want i want to ask ask do you believe in the concept of the personal brand and if so um clearly you probably got one of the the best personal brands in the entire marketing industry how do you foster that how did you get there what did you do see uh there are two things one is i i always talk about as a marketer you understand that every good firstly the product has to be good then the packaging has to be good then there has to be promotion right an individual is not different you are a brand you are a product and first you have to be good which means you study well you read well you get good experiences etc that's very important so get your product into shape into good shape have a good formulation the second thing is you need to obviously package it properly communication is extremely critical packaging i don't mean in terms of physically how you dress or how you look these days nobody cares how you look and how you know but it is about how you communicate that's very critical are you able to inspire your teams are they able to emotionally buy into your vision are you simplifying complex things in a manner that everybody is able to understand and grapple with things and that move things forward etc that's very critical that's part of your packaging the third like for example look at me i have a very strong indian accent and in the old days marketing was perceived to be a glamorous function with a lot of show and uh, you know stuff like that but that's not how it is you know people may get carried away with your packaging external packaging for 5 minutes but actually when the communication starts happening they realize you are good bad or mediocre very important third promotion promotion when you say even a good product requires good communication good uh, advertising uh, or call it whatever so the key thing is networking is very important that's your distribution channel letting people know that you are good is important but there's a difference between being selling yourself versus marketing yourself marketing is about creating a pull selling is about creating a push so if you try to push yourself on to others there will be instant organ rejection but if you create a pull by the kind of stuff that you are doing consistently not a flash of the pan but consistently you're doing a great job and letting people see it and not push it not brag about it not sort of you know uh, it's a very fine territory your enthusiasm can carry you into the sales territory but don't get there let your work speak for itself but don't be so shy 
that you are even scared to talk about your work. It's a fine balance. If you do that, I think that that's how you build your brand over the years. And uh, trust is at the core of it all. A brand needs to be trusted. An individual needs to be trustworthy. And that's something which is very, very important. So don't ever go for short-term gains or short-term uh, flash and uh, spotlight. Try to play for the long term. That's what I would say. Wow. I, I love the way that you bring the four Ps into personal branding, but of course, but, but absolute genius. I've never heard anybody put it into that context. We didn't talk about price, but maybe we don't need to talk too much about that. But um, so the book, uh, we've had a few people on who have written books um, and often have very different motivations. It's a very personal journey. Uh, and Richie, of course, is now a published author as well. Congratulations, Richie, even in the last days. What, Thank you. Was it? Was it a bucket list item um, or a, a moment of madness? Or what was your journey towards wanting to write a book? And, and I'll give you actually, uh, so I'll tell you, it's very fascinating, right? So firstly, my grandfather has written a book and my dad has written a book. Uh, so it almost became like an obligatory thing for me that I have to continue the family tradition. I should write a book too. That was how it was in the beginning. Then uh, the second part of it is in 2013 or 2014, I made a, I presented to MasterCard's management team and then the whole company about what I call as the next generation marketing strategies. And I called it marketing 4.0 internally. And then I went externally and I spoke about it at CanLions and I said, how you actually change the face of marketing and how marketing is very different. And I call it marketing 4.0. Fast forward to 2016 or 2017, I fell off my chair when I saw there was a book called Marketing 4.0 published by uh, or written by Philip Kotler, who I consider as my guru, uh, because I learned during my MBA from his book, the foundation, the fundamentals, the principles of marketing. So I said, my God, he has written exactly, we got the same title. When I looked at the content, it was very, very similar, extremely similar. So it was a validation that I was on the right track except that he is a guru because he could write a book. And I was just happy with my internal and some presentations at this forum and that forum. I said, what an idiot I am. I should have written a book myself. You know, I would have done it three years back. That, that was one thing. So I was doing in 2018, uh, again, a strategic exercise for MasterCard in terms of where the future is going and how. And I started saying, okay, I should this time write a book. And what was the beauty was that there was so much amount of substance and content that I had and some very controversial thoughts, very thought, very provoking thoughts that I had. I said, I have to capture it to your book. But I didn't want to call it marketing 5.0. It looks like too much of a me too in this kind of a situation. And I'm not ever going to be uh, in a battle uh, you know, uh, for supremacy against my uh, you know, guru. Right, so I said, no, let me not take the number game, but let me just get into something else. So that's how, that was the genesis. And then when I started writing it, uh, it was a fascinating experience because there are a lot of concepts which are very fuzzy in everyone's mind. But when you want to start putting it on paper and first day, congratulations, Richie. Uh, and you'll be able to obviously relate you know, with your book uh, writing. Your thoughts get clarified. You need a lot of clarity of thinking to be able to put your thoughts because once you are putting it on in, uh, in a book or in writing, it, it sort of gets memorialized. So it is attributed to you. So you better be having the right things with the right logic, with enough substance to be able to link to you. Otherwise you can really, you know. So 
I had to really think through and put everything. And when I started doing it, my own thinking became so much more clearer. And it was a fascinating journey. Uh, and I, I could finish the first draft of the book from start to finish in three and a half weeks. Wow. Uh, Raja, so, so my confession is, I'm the first person in my family to ever write a book. So, um, Good show. You can start the tradition. There we go. My, my son is in for it, I guess, and my daughter as well. Um, I, I must admit, I was watching an interview with you and Gary V, massive fan of him as well. Um, and, you know, you talked about how most of the marketing models that exist today are completely useless. And I think I'm quoting you when I say that, useless about to, to kind of figure out how marketing um, needs to be done both today and the future. Talking about disruption is already here. Um, but I'd love to just dive in a little bit and talk about the fifth quantum, as you call it. Um, lovely to hear how the, the term the fifth came about. But, but tell us a little bit about that and what you then believe is going to be the next era of marketing moving forward. Yeah. So, you know, uh, marketing was being practiced since antiquity. And there is evidence of marketing even 2000 years back in the ruins of Pompeii and so on. From then on, it has been evolving. And each time there is some kind of a technological advancement, a couple of technologies will propel marketing into the next paradigm. There is a paradigm shift with technologies. You know, so from the first paradigm, which was predominantly about product marketing, moved into emotional marketing, when marketers' ability for storytelling has dramatically jumped up with the advent of radio first and television next. With the advent of internet, it, it ushered marketing into the third paradigm. Uh, and, uh, internet and data analytics were the two technologies which moved marketing from paradigm uh, two to paradigm three. In 2007, with the launch of iPhone, mobile devices became very ubiquitous, mobile connected devices. And you also have social media platforms with the scaling of Facebook that year. Between these two technologies, marketing has been ushered in to the fourth paradigm. We are now at the cusp of the fourth and fifth paradigms. And why do I say that is, in the past, there were two disruptive technologies at a time, literally, to move marketing into the next paradigm. Now we are about to be confronted by two dozen technologies, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, drone deliveries. Logistics is going to be very different. Uh, you have got uh, uh, wearables, you got internet of things, you got smart speakers, you got autonomous cars, you got, and it's like the blockchain. The list keeps going on 24 technologies that are out there. Each one of them has got a profound impact on consumer behavior uh, and on marketing, therefore, and organizational behavior and B2B marketing, therefore, as well. So, in that kind of a scenario, when I started looking at how we do marketing today, already a lot of things which are taught to us and have been practiced for years and decades are falling apart. Like, for example, we talk of purchase funnel. In the past, the method that it should be awareness, interest, desire, action, satisfaction. It's supposed to be a five-stage purchase cycle. There are multiple models. This was called the IDAS model, IDAS 1 or IDAS 2. That is just not valid anymore today. The funnel has collapsed. Advertising. This is my favorite, or one of the favorites, which I said, like, advertising is not the way to go forward. It is the way that we know. The need for communication does not disappear, but advertising is going to radically change. Why, is, why do I say that? When I'm sitting in front of, for example, a YouTube uh, video, I'm watching some Bollywood song or I'm watching an animal video or whatever. Every three minutes, there is an interruption by an ad. 
so even if it is in the middle of the song it stops me now and then i have to i'm waiting for that skip button to appear when it says skip now i'm quickly i'm not paying attention to the ad in fact if i pay attention i'm 100% sure i will never buy that damn product because they are destroying my experience okay and this is a marketer talking right as a consumer now what do i do many people have put ad blockers 600 million conservatively and 2 billion people have put our ad blocks on the other extreme estimates so the reality is somewhere between 600 and 2 billion let's say 1 billion people 1 billion people have installed ad blockers which means marketers cannot reach them on those devices they are going away from marketing or from advertisements in a big way to ad free environments and willing to pay money to keep this marketing pests out they're going to netflix they're going to yeah amazon so with the result of which what happens is we are losing those audiences their attention is being shifted somewhere else so why do i as a marketer now if i put my hat on that's a nightmarish scenario for me because if people are leaving and they hate advertisements how am i going to reach them how am i going to tell them my story it is a very big challenge right and but at the same time just because i have a challenge i cannot ignore the reality that consumers are facing i have to find a different way of communicating my message to them and impressing them to buy my brand as opposed to somebody else's brand that is going to be very critical so advertising has to be totally reinvented holding on to the old models is simply not going to work now these are going to only get accentuated when you are looking at this new technologies that are coming everything has to be reinvented in marketing loyalty for example you know uh, i read in on bbc.com uh, and that's what the genesis of the whole idea one of the articles it said they have done a survey amongst uh, people who are in relationships married relationship or living relationship more than 70% of them have admitted both men and women that they have cheated on their partners so i said okay that's interesting statistic i would have thought probably it is maybe 30 35 40% whatever but 70% seem to be overwhelming majority i said okay if people in their personal lives have made an explicit or implicit commitment that they will be loyal till death do us part or they also are aware of the consequences of not being loyal because if they are caught their reputation goes to the toilet they got financial implications there is emotional trauma to people in their circles in spite of knowing the consequences and in spite of making the commitments they are not loyal anyway So if that's the case, why we as marketers expect expect people to be loyal to our brands? We are so low, way low down in the hierarchy of everything. Why would we really run loyalty programs and spending hundreds of billions of dollars as an industry annually? We need to rethink the concept of loyalty completely. And I keep saying loyalty is is dead. It's not the way it is. It's actually a different way how to approach it. It's preference management. You need stickiness. but don't mistake stickiness for loyalty it could be a lack of choice it could be a temporary incentive that the consumer has got so if you reframe the whole thing your strategies will be totally different so i'm looking at every single aspect of the entire marketing value chain and i said things are not going to work we have to reinvent and reimagine marketing and that new way of marketing is what i uh, titled as quantum marketing which is the title of my book as well but we need to rethink and re- uh, reimagine marketing completely um roger that's a brilliant uh, way to bring the, that insight around uh, the false falseness of loyalty to life we we've already had so many 
pearls of wisdom um, on your perspectives in marketing. We've we've come to the end, more or less. Uh, time for one last quick question. Uh, many people watching and watching on playback will be trying to figure out their careers, um, particularly in, in the early stages of that. What would be your sage piece of advice advice for people trying to figure out how to craft a career in marketing? So firstly, what I would say, I'll give three same pieces of advice. Uh, the, the first one is, in the future, competition is going to get even more brutal. Companies need marketing to differentiate and succeed in the marketplace. So the prominence of marketing in future will be very, very high. So it's a great field to be in, number one. Number two, marketing is no longer a single specialization that you can stay in those swim lanes and just do pure marketing. Marketing is more like a general management role with a deep understanding of marketing, but also a decent understanding of data, of finance, of public relations, etc. So you need to be striving to be a 360 or a holistic marketer like a Leonardo da Vinci to the extent that you can. If you are not, surround yourself with people who complement your strengths. So if you are very creative, make sure that your team has got people who are very analytical or vice versa. That would be extremely critical. The last one I would say is the marketing field is changing so dramatically and it's impacted so much by the new technologies that are coming. You have to invest time to learn. At this stage in my life, in my career, I spent five hours every weekend purely for learning. I set aside that time to learn, whether it is the NFTs, whether it is the blockchains, whether it is AI, call it whatever, and I take Coursera courses, and I uh, watch you know, uh, uh, videos which are actually educating me on these. I take reverse mentoring sessions. I read up a lot of books. There are many, many ways that you can learn, but you have to, because otherwise, if you're already in the field of marketing, you don't keep yourself up to date on these latest developments, you will become obsolete in no time and you cannot affect that to happen to you. Those would be my three pieces of advice. Raja, brilliant. wow. Uh, absolutely, absolutely brilliant uh, pieces of advice there. And I would hope that maybe in the future, as part of those five hours, you may come to the School of Marketing to, to both contribute as well as to learn some fresh insights into our industry. I would be delighted to absolutely. Uh, no, I, I'll be in touch with you on this, Richie, but so long as you promise to send me an autographed a copy of your book. <laughs> that would be only a pleasure, my friend. An absolute pleasure. So look, like this, this point in the, in the show, uh, myself and Mark just come up with a few key things that really struck us um, about the conversation. So let me go first um, and replay a couple of key themes. The first thing, by the way, coming into this conversation... I genuinely did not realize the impact that it would have on me. I think it's truly been an inspiring session, but inspiring, but insightful. And I think in equal measure, you know, really twisting and turning my own view on what marketing really is, and where the future actually is. So that's been absolutely brilliant for me. Um, is it bad to look good? Hey, what a line, right? What an absolute line. It's a line I'll, I'll remember for a long time. Um, intuition versus skill. You know, you summed it up brilliantly when you talked about Da Vinci. As simple as that. You need both sides of the coin in order to be a brilliant marketer. Um, the impact and impetus that you put into your purpose-driven brand, that is MasterCard now, to become a top 10 brand in the world and eighth in the US. Wow. 
But let me tell you, it's down to you and your teams and your hard work and contributions, because I, I know that's absolutely true, just hearing it from, from this conversation. Um, tough decisions kill the brand, kill the project when you when you you know when when sometimes it isn't working um, as well as it should. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about two more things that have struck me. One clearly is around personal branding. Wow, product package promotion. Um, how you do that all all key, but trust is the center linchpin that kind of brings all those things together. Um, and you also mentioned you said. Um, don't be too, you know, your enthusiasm can take you into the sales territory, but don't let that happen. Think about the long term. I love, I love that bit. Um, and in fact, by the way, Safran, one of our guests on the show said, love this, Raja, hands down the best advice on personal branding I've ever heard. So thank you for that, Safran. Um, and the last thing is around there's two dozen disruptors in the space um, for us to change the way marketing happens. Two dozen guys. We're in for a, a real rocky road but a huge amount of opportunity. Thank you, Raja. Over to you, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Richie. Yeah, good, good job. I'm, I'm going to touch on some common themes. Actually, three things. One, I just love, love, love the fact that it was a happy accident that you found your way into marketing and have had the career you've had. I, I have to say, though, the purpose of the School of Marketing is that people don't come into marketing as a happy accident and we help them do it in a more deliberate way, but it's a beautiful story. Um, I'm just going to restate the four P's on personal branding, creating the pool, hugely insightful and very um, actionable, I think, for everybody who's listening in. And then the final thought, the Da Vinci thought, the whole brainness of marketing, getting more complicated, more exciting at the same time, but more challenging and demanding, but at the same time, more rewarding. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. We need to be as whole brained as we can, or if not, get the right people around us to do so. Roger, it's been, it's been wonderful to have you on. I, I don't know how we've managed to pack in so many insights in just 40-odd minutes, but it's been brilliant to have you on the show. And thank you on behalf of Richie and everyone listening. In. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark and Richie. An absolute pleasure being with you all. And hopefully, uh, we'll do it again some other time. And uh, I would love to understand and get into the details of the school, and both from a learning perspective as well as from a contributing perspective. Let's connect. And, and of course, I'll wait for your book. That's and I'll read it. Okay. Thank you very much. Stay safe and take care.